Stay tuned for Point and Click Radio, the computer show. Security updates. What are they and why are they important? New iPhones are on the way. Does anyone really care? And we talk with the Chief Operating Officer of Further Reach about rural internet access and more. Those stories and more coming up on Point and Click Radio. And good evening, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Point and Click Radio. This is the bi-weekly computer show here on KZYX, the place where we answer your computer questions and bring you the latest computer and internet news. I'm Jim Hyde. And I'm Toby Molina at the Point and Click Research Desk. And Bob Lawton has the night off, or as the Giants announcers say, he's on assignment. Also, tonight's show is pre-recorded, so we're not going to be taking any calls this evening. But we do have a lot to talk about, and we're going to start by talking about security updates. What are they? Why they matter? And we're talking about that because they're in the news this last week. Apple shipped a couple of important updates for its mobile operating systems for the iPhone and the iPad. Here with the details is Toby at the point-and-click research desk. No, make that the cybersecurity desk. Toby? So I am reading here from appleinsider.com, and the uh, headline is, Apple's latest security update is important, but the mass media response is unhinged. (laughs) And honestly, until I saw this article, I felt the same way, that it was very important. Our folks were visiting, and we all sat around and updated our uh, devices and our laptops. <laughs> it's a real family affair. As if if we didn't do it in the next 10 minutes, uh, that uh, our machines breach would start up, was imminent. <laughs> um, so I'm going to read from the article. The latest Apple security update contains some fixes that you should apply to your devices, but they are nowhere near warranting the amount of ill-informed media attention that they're receiving. Huh. Um, so there's a lot of hyperbole around these updates. That said, they are security updates, and there is no good reason not to apply them. On Wednesday, they released uh, Apple released uh, iOS 15.6.1 um, and a range of other software updates routine patch that addresses some bugs and vulnerabilities and would have largely gone unnoticed by the general public if it were not for a scary-sounding flaw that the media really picked up on. Um, The update patches two vulnerabilities that Apple says may have been actively exploited in the wild, meaning that an attacker attacker may have used them to compromise a device. Uh, More specifically, it addresses a WebKit vulnerability, which really doesn't mean anything to most people. Well, WebKit is the is the engine that web browsers on the Mac and on the Apple and all Apple devices run on top of. Right, and what it would allow is um, a an attacker to execute arbitrary code with elevated privileges. Ah, In other words, they could get into your phone and do more um, high-level stuff to your phone or low-level stuff. They could delete files. Right, or take files. Um, In other words, it means that a hacker could theoretically run malicious code on a compromised device. Not good. So the best thing to do is update. Um, It it fixes a variety of uh, issues, and this is far from unique. Um, Apple routinely issues software updates. Oh, it's uh, important to mention that this also applies to the Monterey operating system. So oh, laptops, yeah. uh, desktop machines, 
there are there are security patches on every Apple device, so now's the time to run them and and uh, get your security sewn up. And it's really easy to do on your Apple mobile device, an iPad or an iPhone. Um, oftentimes, the device will tell you there's an update available, um, and if it doesn't, you can go into settings and then tap software update. No, you go into general. That's right. When you can't find something, when you go into settings. Go to general because when they can't when they can't come up with a specific heading for it, they just dump everything uh, in there. Let's just put it in general. Yeah. People will figure it out. Yeah. So go to settings, then general, and then I think up near the top there is, a, is something that says software. Update. Yeah, there's about, and then right under that says software update, and your if your phone will then check if you're um, if you have connectivity in that moment, your phone will then run an update check and tell you uh, what uh, is available for you to to update. And, and it's always a good idea when you're doing any kind of an update to your operating system on a mobile device, make sure that you're plugged in. Don't be doing it on battery power because you don't want the uh, iPad or iPhone's battery to to die. Same in the with middle your of an laptop. Update. Same with the, very much same with the laptop. Yeah. Um, and you wanna you wanna do it in a stable environment. In other words, don't start it when you're off off at a coffee shop and think, well, I'll finish this when I get home. Uh, do it from a place where you know your, your device can just sit there for, what, half an hour or so and just ruminate, download it, depending on how big or how fast an internet connection you have. Um, those updates can take a while to, up, uh, to, to this download. This is a relatively small one. Yeah. Actually, this is only about 150 megabytes. Oh, that is a quick one. Just make sure it's plugged in and, um, and, and let the device alone to, uh, to ruminate and, and, and replace its brain. And it is important to remember that this, for some reason, this particular instance of a security patch got a lot of attention. Yeah. There have been far more nefarious um, vulnerabilities in the past that didn't get nearly the fanfare. Um, in July, there was some security patches that were serious. And in September of 2021, um, there was a zero-day flaw mm. that was um, it would allow a bad actor to actually take full control of device. And spy on the users. There are a lot of bad actors out there. Yeah, that spyware was used by authoritarian governments to surveil activists, journalists, and opposition candidates. Yeah, that's nasty. But for some reason, reason it just wasn't as grabby. This one, well, you know, it's August. I don't know. <laughs> the, uh, the the tech world needed something to to, to report on. But let's step back for a minute and talk about what a security update is and what other kinds of updates you, uh, you encounter in the course of using these wacky devices. Uh, you know, basically, software is it's always evolving, and it evolves typically in, in a few different ways, which sometimes overlap. Um, new features are, are, are added. New big uh, major upgrades to the operating system appear. Um, it might be, you know, in the in the iPhone and iPad world, it's you know, um, iOS or iPad OS 14 to 15 to 16. In the Macintosh world, it's always a California named thing like Mojave or Catalina. Um, on Windows, it can be Windows 10 to Windows 11, and those are the kind of the big updates when whole new feature sets appear. Um, things get moved around and forced you to go back to the drawing board and learn and relearn things. And, um, and, and the device, your computer or your phone or your tablet, has some uh, glitzy new features, many of which most people end up never using. That's the major update. Then there are the bug fixes, 
because no software ever ships perfectly uh, bug free. And every now and then a software developer will identify some bugs, um, sometimes result resulting in lost data or sometimes they're reported by users and they will ship a, an update that doesn't add a whole lot new of new features, but it fixes, squashes some of those bugs. And then lastly, there are the security updates. And these are, are ones that are either discovered by the vendor um, in this case, either Apple or Microsoft um, or, who, or Google, in the case of Chrome, whoever the, uh, the software comes from, they'll either discover a vulnerability or it will be reported to them by a variety of different hacker groups, um, the white hat community, it's sometimes called. Um, and in this case, this latest um, exploit was reported by an anonymous hacker who let Apple know, hey, there's a, there's, a, there's a vulnerability in the operating system. That last category is probably the most important to be, um, to be installing when you hear about it. When your device says there's a security update, um, it's a good idea, again, with your battery charged and your device plugged in, um, to do that in a nice, stable internet connection to go ahead and install that. Um, the bug fixes you probably also want to install. And oftentimes, like I said, these, these features, these types of updates overlap. Oftentimes, if a company is going to be shipping a um, security patch, they'll also, also go and squash some bugs while they're at it. And the same happens when a new feature, a minor new feature comes out. They may fix bugs that they were aware of, but um, that were not critical enough to warrant their own separate patch for. You'll often hear that word applied to them, a patch, and think of that as a, uh, well, a, a patch on, a, on the knee of your favorite jeans. Um, it, it plugs a hole and makes, the, uh, makes that problem go away. So generally, like I said, the security batches are the most important to install. This latest one for the, uh, for the Apple devices um, is perhaps not as cloak and dagger, spy versus spy dangerous as what um, some media outlets are reporting. But nonetheless, it's always smart to avoid falling into the hands of a bad actor or a spy. My rule of thumb is updates, security patches, etc. I always update immediately. Mm -hmm. I read sometimes if it's an update that's just cosmetic and flashy, maybe I'll hold off to make sure that there isn't anything in that update that might make something, you know, I look on the forums to make sure right. there isn't anything in that update that might be funky or make something stop working. So I'll wait a few days maybe. When it comes to the big upgrades, like going from iOS 14 to iOS 15, I don't do it right away. Yeah. I wait. Um, I look at forums. I listen for chat, chit chat. Mm -hmm hear if there's any problems, hear um, if I want to make sure all my important apps are still going to work. So big uh, upgrades, um, big updates, I wait yep. and listen, probably a couple of weeks, if not more. Uh, updates, I'll wait a couple of days waiting to hear if there are any problems. Um, again, looking on Mac forums, etc. And with security patches, boom, I do it right away. I don't wait. That's a really good rule of thumb. For those big updates, also take into account the age of your device. 
Um, if you, we see this all the time, we'll get listeners, we'll get calls from listeners who say, you know, I updated the, the, my, the operating system on my five-year-old Mac and now everything is running slowly. Um, the fact is when all of those features, those new features, many of which you'll never end up using, appear, they will require more memory and they often will require more processing punch. So it's always good to kind of step back and think, you know, do I have the hardware necessary to really get the best out of this new operating system? And if your device, whether it's a laptop or a desktop or a phone or a tablet, um, if it's only a couple of years old, then almost certainly yes. Um, if it's older than that, if it's pushing that kind of four to six or more ballpark, it might be safer to stay where you are. Mm -hmm. That's not always a bad thing, especially when the alternative might be installing an upgrade that your machine is not really capable of running at a full clip. Listen to you, Jim, helping our listeners get smart. That's our goal here in 99. You're listening to Point and Click Radio, the bi-weekly computer show. Here this week, Toby Molina and yours truly, Jim Hyde. Speaking of Apple mobile devices, it's just about that time of year again, the time when Apple introduces new iPhone models, typically happens in the fall of each year. And indeed, the rumor mills are abuzz with talk of the iPhone 14 models. Uh, There will apparently be a couple of different sizes, as usual. They will be faster, as usual. The most expensive models will have better cameras, as usual. And all of which begs the question, in a world where you're saying as usual a lot, kind of who cares? Less people, fewer people are upgrading their phones on a regular basis these days. Here from a Wall Street Journal article from last Sunday, the global smartphone market is taking a breather. With inflation lifting the cost of daily necessities like gas and food, many phone owners are sticking with their current models longer, according to executives in the industry. Companies are making fewer phones and fewer phone parts, and they're planning for a further rough patch ahead. That certainly dovetails with our experience and our sentiment. Um, We're looking at what, the iPhone 14? I believe you and I both have iPhone 11 models. Yes. And unless the iPhone 14 comes with an espresso maker built in. Unless it can charge my car. (laughs) Unless it can become my car. I don't really see a big need to upgrade. My phone's plenty fast. The battery's still hanging on just fine. The camera's amazing. And yeah, why? It's interesting. The mobile carriers have long persuaded us to upgrade our smartphones every two years. Yeah. Verizon is dogging me hard. Oh, really? To upgrade my phone. I get texts constantly (laughs) about how it's time, it's time, it's time for my free upgrade. Hey, we have a free phone for you. And um, it's interesting that I don't find it the tiniest bit tempting. Yeah. I mean, all kinds of deals around it and just really want to press me forward into the new technology. And... um, you know, I am certainly a technologist at heart. I'm. You know, we love the toys. It's not just the toys. I mean, my it's my business. I love the toys. Yes, you do. 
<laughs> and so do I. But the fact is, is that as much as I like the toys, I just don't feel compelled. They're expensive. Yeah. My current phone is doing everything I need it to do. Um, maybe there will be some new fancy uh, feature that I think is must have, but I haven't heard anything that makes me think that's going to be the case. And the fact is, is that the more you, the frequently you upgrade, the more you are contributing to an already staggering e-waste stream. That's a really interesting point. Consumer electronics are responsible for tons of e-waste annually, which in turn contributes significantly to the climate crisis. Sure. Uh, experts have warned about how e-waste disposal contributes to climate change due to the chemicals released when the waste is burned, some of which are equivalent to carbon dioxide. Mm. You know, iPhones contain toxic materials, lead, mercury, and we have historically, um, developed countries have, like the U.S., have historically shipped recyclable wastes overseas for processing. Right. We just sort of, you know. Made it someone else's problem, theoretically. Uh, according to an article that I found in CNET, the UN's 2020 Global E-Waste Monitor Report found that the world dumped a record 53.6 million tons of east of e-waste oh. that year oh. of which the u.s is the world's second largest uh, contributor wow. dumping we dumped 6.9 million tons and of course on the front end of all of that is the mining that's necessary to extract the metals the yep. rare earth metals that are required in devices like semiconductors and batteries and also from that article, while Apple is committed to a net zero supply chain by 2030, it's hard to argue that there's a better alternative to lower carbon consumption than less consumption. <laughs> After all, Apple says the iPhone 12's end-to-end -end supply chain emits 70 kilograms of carbon to the atmosphere. So even if a million people waited that extra year, we could save... 70 million kilograms of carbon from going into the air in a year. And imagine if that was 10 million or 100 million. Uh, it's something to think about before you upgrade. No kidding. So there are a variety of reasons not to upgrade, if it's just including it's expensive. You know, either you're going to, you know, quote unquote, lease the phone or you're going to buy the phone. Um, you're contributing to e-waste pollution. That's really sure. kind of staggering when you think about it. There are a variety of reasons. And honestly, when new toys, new laptops, et cetera, come out, I always get that sort of <laughs> yeah. that feeling. And then I look at my phone and think, well, this is fine. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and there used to be, as you said, you know, when the iPhone first came out, when smartphones first came out, there were these exponential leaps from one model to the next. It would be so much faster. Or the camera all of a sudden would become like, yeah, okay, this is not bad camera for a phone. It was all of a sudden, wow, this is an incredible camera. But that kind of evolution, that those dramatic leaps seem to have gotten smaller and smaller over the last few years. And that's probably why both of us who are love photography and take a lot of photos and videos with our phones, we're still using phones that are, what, three years old now. Also, uh, phones are being made, the operating systems are being made to be far more backwards compatible. Mm. In other words, the 2015 iPhone 6S can run iOS 15, the current right. operating system. Right. 
So it's far less, it, we're not antiquating these these older pieces of, of hardware. And if it's working for you, it's working for you. Um, one of the things that can be motivating as far as upgrading is the size of the screen. In other words, right. um, as you get older, sometimes, you know, you, you like to have a little bit, you know, a bigger footprint on your phone and when you're looking at it or it just feels too small. But really, other than size, there's also um, on the Android side of things. There's now foldable, the foldable foldable phones, and that's, that's sort of like the next thing. thing but right. that's um, really not widely adopted just yet, and they're very expensive. Yeah, um, there's not a lot of incremental um, improvement in a lot of those phones, other than they're getting more expensive, mm-hmm. and that is not a great feature. <laughs> no, <laughs> that you're looking for is increased price. Those things tend to be in the thousand dollar and up ballpark. Right, like that's eleven, a lot twelve, thirteen hundred dollars or more for something that I'm likely to lose at the beach. I think we can wrap it up uh, with the closing paragraph from the CNET article that I found. Smartphone innovation has stagnated. And this is not a knock against the consumer electronics companies or the tech giants that design them. Maybe we've reached peak smartphone. Peak smartphone. And this is as far as it needs to go. It could well be part of the reason why the race to upgrade your phones is slowing. We will obviously, here on Point and Click Radio, have all the details on the new iPhone 14 family when Apple introduces it. And we may be more enthusiastic about upgrading. I don't know. I think I'm going to be pretty happy with my iPhone 11 Pro for a while yet. One thing that the uh, one other thing that the rumor mills are talking about is the introduction of a new model of the Apple Watch. Um, the Apple Watch is currently at what Apple calls Series Seven. They always use the word Series, Series Six, Seven, so forth. Um, it looks like we may be seeing the Watch Series Eight. And each time the watch updates, Apple introduces some interesting health-related features because the watch kind of falls into that category that the industry folks call a wearable. Now, my socks are wearables, but, well, sometimes they are. But in the, watch, in the case of the watches or things like Fitbits, fitness trackers, um, that whole category of product is often called a wearable. And in the world of wearables, one of the big features is various health monitoring features. Um, a couple of uh, versions ago, the Apple Watch introduced the ability to take um, EKG heart readings and heart monitoring features. Uh, the last series, the Series 7, introduced the ability to take blood oxygen levels, pulse ox uh, levels. It looks like, according to the rumor mills, that the Series 8 watch will add temperature readings, so fever monitoring. Um, I know some people, and in fact, I'm one of them, <laughs> who have some health issues that really, really benefit from the health monitoring features that are in the Apple Watches. Um, I find them, well, in my case, kind of almost sort of life-saving. And that to me is a lot more exciting than a faster processor or a higher megapixel camera in a uh, in a phone. So again, we will have the details on whatever Apple introduces here on Point and Click Radio. This is Point and Click Radio, the bi-weekly computer show here on KZYX, Mendocino County Public Broadcasting in Philo. Toby Molina and yours truly, Jim Hyde, with you tonight as Bob Lawton is on assignment. Coming up next, an interview with Tamir Shinek. 
one of the principals of Further Reach, one of Mendocino County's internet service providers. We're fortunate here in Mendocino County to have an assortment of local internet providers. On the other hand, we're also disadvantaged because our spectacular rural setting has been and continues to be a liability when it comes to getting fast broadband access to everyone in the county. We've been covering this issue on point and click since the days of the dial-up modem in the 1990s, and happily the picture has gotten better since then. One reason is because of the growing number of small, locally-based internet providers that are willing to do what the big telcos, the AT&Ts and Comcasts of the world, are often not willing to do. Serve areas with relatively few customers and challenging installation requirements. One of the local providers we're fortunate to have is Further Reach, a wireless internet provider that began service about seven years ago in the Irish Beach and Manchester areas and has since spread both north and east. A few days ago, I talked with one of their principals, Tamir Shinek, about the company's origins, the challenges of rural broadband, and what might be ahead. Let's listen. Tamir, welcome to Point and Click Radio. Thanks for having me, Jim. So I have a lot of thoughts, of course, about the rural digital divide, having lived in this part of the world for 33 years now and worked in technology along the way. Um, and I'm sure we'll get to that in this conversation. But before we start, maybe just kind of give me a brief history of um, of further reach from your for your standpoint. All right. Well, for the for, for the idea behind further reach actually started uh, quite a number of years ago now in uh, northern India in Dharmasala, and uh, my partner and our our CEO and she scientists uh, at that time was uh, engaged uh, by the Tibetan exile community and His Holiness uh, to help them bring the virtues of internet communications to that community, which, uh, at that time was extremely, uh, unserved and, uh, and disadvantaged in many other ways. And he started, uh, a WISP then with much, much less sophisticated technology at the time, um, uh, providing internet service essentially to that community. Uh, that company was called the Air Jaldi. And, uh, and he uh, came to California uh, quite a number of years ago now, uh, but uh, left that uh, WISP, which is a wireless ISP, uh, and that today is the world's largest wireless ISP. Um, and, yeah, and my partner's name is Yehel Ben-David. You know, soon after he came here, he, he uh, was invited to the PhD program at UC Berkeley um, and pursued a PhD uh, in uh, computer science with the focus on uh, network communications, essentially for, uh, with, a, you know, with there again, a focus on the developing world. Uh, his thesis uh, was titled uh, Serving the Last Billion People. Mm. Uh, the next billion is easier than the last billion. And, uh, and Further Reach was started as a research project as part of his studies and has grown since then. Wow. Yeah, I remember my experience with Further Reach goes back to about 2015, I think it was, um, when a neighbor um, where I'm located, as you know, is on a relatively high location that has good line of sight to different parts of the Mendocino <laughs> Coast. Uh, and a neighbor um, who was not particularly tech savvy called me up and said, you know, there's some guys here from Berkeley. There's something about internet and <laughs> wanting to bring internet faster internet here. 
And I did everything except set up a roadblock <laughs> to prevent Yael to leave from leaving the neighborhood. Because um, <laughs> I knew I had a, an inkling of, of what that meant. Um, and I think at, at the, in the original um, incarnations of Further Reach, um, service began kind of in the Manchester Point Arena area. Is that right? Irish Beach. Irish Beach. It was unserved. It was radically unserved and not likely to be on the map of any ISP for quite some time. Irish Beach was uh, just about the worst place on the coast you could think about setting up uh, a technology uh, group like this to, to provide service for. And the coast, if you think about it, is is literally one of the world's worst places to try to to try to make this work. Um, you know, the Garcia River floods at the you know t you know two two rainstorms in you you know storage on both sides of the river. You've got rugged coast. You've got redwood trees. You've got salt air. You've got you're going over water. Um, line of sight is extremely difficult. Um, it's extremely rural to begin with. Um, you can't get fiber, you know, everywhere that you want it. Uh, it takes a long time. You know, so there's many, many challenges to uh, successfully providing broadband service uh, in a sustainable way. I point out that this is, uh, you know, our, our belief is not here to maximize profit. It's to it's to prove that this can happen sustainably. Um, and uh, and yeah, Irish Beach is the, the center of uh, of the difficulty of making that happen. And and it's also an area where a big fiber cable comes on shore, right? Which was kind of the the on ramp. So the on ramp is actually in Manchester. Okay. And uh, there's a nondescript building, uh, just a few a few buildings south of uh, of uh, SMB Market, and uh, and that is where the Trans Asian cables. Uh, land on the Pacific and go all the different directions on the coast. Wow. And so um, we and uh, AT and T are the uh, the proud uh, uh, you know the proud uh, uh, tenants of uh, of a giant building they have down there. It's quite an impressive facility, um, you know. And they have racks and racks and stuff. And we have our our, uh, our equipment there, <laughs> giant rack. And uh, yeah, that's where it all. That's you know, people people think there isn't fiber here, and there is. There's fiber that runs up and down Highway One. Well, and and that's that's kind of one of the great ironies that you often see, I think, with rural internet is that. That 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 super highway is kind of right there. Right there, those, those yep. off ramps. Um, yeah, the classic mm -hmm. last mile problem of how do you get it from there to my front door? Um, and wireless is in a lot of ways a great solution for that because it doesn't involve trenching and digging cables and um, and, and and all of the expense and the environmental and traffic disruption and all of the disruptions that 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 involves right of way and yeah and also maintaining the cable and, and you know a lot of the a lot of the fibers on telephone poles which is you know not you know you'd see how hard it is to keep the power on here right. it's not a great uh it's not a great option not a great place to put things on telephone poles that are going to be reliable um when you know when it rains and there's wind and um you know i would actually go a step further is um we think that wireless is actually maybe uh, not maybe we think it is more suitable uh even for the interconnect not just the last mile but for the middle mile explain what that means for our, for our listeners and for me well so the last mile so the model for the last mile is you um you you get you acquire fiber at the curb and you can use wireless to get up to you know like a driveway here could be, you know, 15 feet or it could be three miles. 
um, part of the problem here is, is right that the telcos like the 15 foot driveway and they like them you know 40 feet <laughs> 40 feet in a pattern up the road uh, that's not what it looks like here um and uh and that that also runs the risk that uh, getting fiber or supporting that fiber to essentially the, the driveway of the of the homeowner at the road uh, that that is going to be the most stable technology and uh, first there's a lot of problems you know fiber fiber the home you know those those systems were, were not built to, to do that to have a tap at every uh, at every driveway um, and so uh, maintaining that network uh, in the ground or on telephone poles is also very expensive and that driveway could be could be one two three miles um, and that is something that the, the model doesn't work well for the 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 uh, you know the telcos are very profit driven and very profitable, mm -hmm. um, and because they're very careful about not not taking on communities like Irish Beach, right. it's a hard place to serve, and you have to solve problems differently. And there's a uh, there's an extreme bias towards fiber in uh, in our estimation, and because of that. Uh, it was sort of maybe in combination with that, there's also uh, a grant process that's targeting large telcos. And the combination of those two factors really create a big problem for rural communities because the large telcos can't really be bothered with us. They've shown, you know, Comchi, there's many, many stories where the, the government paid, paid to have the cables put in the ground like Comchi and how many years later before they said, mm, yeah, it's not worth it for us anymore and quietly packed their bags and, and went went the other way and, and left the community in the lurch. And, and it's it's an extreme example, but it's common, right? They, the, the federal government almost certainly, I can't say for sure, but almost certainly paid for the, uh, the DSL cables uh, as part of an earlier rural broadband initiative, get the cables on the ground, but, uh, you know, they turned them off just... Uh, you know, six months ago or so, or, or in the process. I don't know exactly where they are. So that combination is really not working well for rural America. Um, large telcos and a bias towards fiber. And in the meantime, the largest growth segment in telecom in America are small telecoms. Hmm. And uh, we continue to find ourselves largely ignored by certainly the federal government, state governments, almost completely local governments it's it's more hit and miss um Comchi is kind of an interesting example um where the broadband committee so tiny community you know at&t just really couldn't be bothered it wouldn't even you know it's like a rounding error on a spreadsheet for them um you know they don't care that there's 100 100 or so families you know in that community that are unserved or COVID's happening just, I mean, you know, they're, they're a corporation with a, with a, you know, sole focus on their, but they have only one bottom line. And uh, in that regard, like, I don't blame them. If that's, if that's the, the structure you're stuck in, then Comchi is not the place you go serve. And uh, we had multiple phone calls from uh, Chuck Wiltshire and Cindy Hollister and the, the other members of the, the, the country broadband committee. What do we need to do to, to uh, get you to to bring service, you know we've heard good things. We don't know how it works. Tell us how it works. Can you do it? And we explained to them how it works. We need people to sign up so we could see where the houses were on the map and how much interest there was um, to plan a network. And uh, they were extremely well organized community. They were motivated. Um, 
about a month later, they rang me up again. They said, we're all signed up. I checked in the system and they were. And I said, okay, well, <laughs> like you took me up on it. I, you know, we feel like we have to do it. And we, we went and designed a, a, a map. And about two months later, we had about 75 homes connected. Um, super, super fast. Um, and since then we've expanded uh, in that community. We've added, you know, typically, typically there's a few uh, central relays and then you work out from there. Um, and we've been adding uh, adding service to the community since. It's been it was very easy for us to do. And it's a great example of small local government making a big difference. I mean, they they made that happen in that community because it could have been, it could have been, you know, the areas around Casper were on our list and we're soon going to be there, um, but they were better organized and uh, and more collaborative. And and that's a good that's a good model. Yeah, and and I've seen that over and over again in my the years that I've observed or in some cases even reported and written about um, rural internet issues, and that is that. Um, I call them kind of digital barn raisers, uh, you know, communities that get together, band together, and maybe in the 1800s, they band together and build a barn. Um, in the 21st century, they, they band together and somehow one way or another make it happen. And that could be, you know, 25 years, 30 years ago, it was bringing dial-up into communities like ours where I used to rack up $400 a month phone bills calling Santa Rosa to get on America Online. And, uh, and and MCN's arrival, um, thanks to the digital barn rev, uh, raising efforts of the of the school district, um, eliminated that need and brought local access to us. And I've seen that over and over again, um, and 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 I've seen that again and again with further reach. Whether it was you know me and some neighbors helping get a relay in our neighborhood, which could then be a hopscotch point to other relays, um, to the folks in Irish Beach and how um, how, how motivated um, they were to to the Compshi example that you just cited. Yeah, I mean, I, I think part of the uh, of the spirit of the rural community, the Mendocino Coast. I don't know other rural communities. I'm familiar with this one, and and there's a real uh, DIY spirit here. Yeah, um, I find it I find it fascinating that. Uh, that even with the political and economic diversity, which is more here than there is, you know, let's say in the in the suburb suburbs of the in the Bay Area, right. um, there's also uh, a band together and get it done attitude here that uh, that doesn't exist in, in other places. I think it's quite special, uh, and it's it's absolutely a part of uh, what makes it possible to serve to serve the region. Something that I don't think the telcos would would ever understand or see or be able to participate with that you have to call up people you have to know chuck and cindy to right. you know make the, you have to make the phone call the, the executives aren't gonna aren't really gonna do that it's it's so in a completely different dimension from the world that they occupy mm -hmm. <laughs> so um as a revolt as a result of all of these efforts i've seen further reaches footprint grow and grow and grow can you give me an overview of kind of like what the service area is now? And, and so we have? serve, yep, thanks for the question. So we serve from Stewart's Point to uh, just south of Casper wow. and uh, all the way into Anderson Valley. And, uh, you know, at the edges of that, we're fairly thin. In the middle of that, we're, we're, we have a very high density of, uh, of service. Um, and there's a, there's a pretty big gap, as you know, between... Um, between Stewart's Point and, you know, Jenner, I guess. Uh, so, there, you know, there's a fairly, I mean, you know, I don't want, I don't want to, we've had some nice uh, people reaching out from, from Timber Cove and, and stuff. So I don't want to, 
I don't want to discourage them in Annapolis, I think is semi-served at this point. Um, but uh, I believe there's other folks that uh, have made a commitment to serve Annapolis. And, and our goal is to, is to reach out to those areas that are unserved. So we can talk a little bit about what happens when we bump into other, into other WISCs. I think we have a fairly unique uh, approach to that as well. But there's so much that is unserved uh, to the north and the east that that is our focus right now. Yeah. So we're expanding density uh, up and around the uh, Mendocino Village. There's a whole bunch of areas that are unserved there, um, and then all the way, all the way through to, to Anderson Valley, which is uh, under or unserved. There are there are other incumbents there as well. Yeah, talk about the uh, the, the competitive landscape, if you will, because I've also noticed a more collaborative spirit between small providers um, in my experience, because you're kind of all in the same boat together and often have to, as individuals in rural areas, often have to lean on one another for one reason or another. Um, so I, I hope that becomes more and more true. You know, I was asked, I was asked this by a, by a, a visiting partner, you know, what's your, what's your total addressable market? And it's endless today. I mean, we'll see what happens after bead. You know, how much bead solves. Um, but there, you know, we can continue to, you know, like you know, obviously downtown Fort Bragg and Ukiah. Those areas are going to be served by the telcos, and they have things. But in the areas around them, they're going to remain unserved for quite some time. And uh, and so our, our goal is to find those areas that are unconnected and connect them or underconnected. So if they have, you know, there's still some folks out there that are on half a megabit up band. You know, like we don't think that's okay. You have to have a broadband to be considered served. You have to have it, you know, at least 10 to 12 megabits symmetric, like, you know, below the half a megabit's not okay in our mind. It's it's what gives the uh, the industry that we're in a bad name. The fact that those plans are still are still being provided today for money. Um, our philosophy, and you know, I'll be I'll be upfront. We have not been taken up on this yet. But as we grow, uh, given what we see, our network is far and away more advanced and sophisticated than the other networks that are in the area. Um, but other uh, providers are doing a great job in providing service. They, they have their cell phones. People can call them up directly. Um, we have all the respect for people that have done this. And some local providers are providing realistic speeds, good pricing, um, cell phone. You know, maybe there's some other things that are different, and we want to be able to provide those providers broadband. Uh, I'm sorry, uh, wholesale access to our networks. Oh. So we've we've offered it privately. I'm saying it publicly now. Uh, anyone that we bump into, uh, we will find ways to allow them onto our infrastructure. Uh, we do not want to compete with people. We want to cooperate with them. Yeah. We just think it's better for everybody. There's there's enough there's enough to go around and. And uh, if folks have built a reputation, you know, in the in the areas that they're in, we want them to be, be able to maintain those reputations. And when we hope by by working with our network that their speeds will increase at the same price. This is Pointing Click Radio. I'm Jim Hyde. We're listening to an interview that I recorded a couple of days ago with Tamir Shinuk, one of the principals of Further Reach, one of Mendocino County's local internet service providers. We spent the first half of the interview talking about the history of Further Reach and some of the technical underpinnings of Further Reach, how it works, the fact that these crazy giant fiber cables come on shore right here in Mendocino County. 
In the second half of the interview, which we'll hear next, we talked about how to get further reach and what the procedure is for getting hooked up. So let's talk for a minute about kind of the nuts and bolts of, uh, of, of further reach service for someone who is out there struggling with a HughesNet type of non-solution <laughs> and they're really intrigued. Um, I know that there is a process of going to furtherreach.net um, and entering your physical location, your street address, not your post office box, um, and that enables you to um, determine whether or not there's a possibility of service in terms of having a line of sight to an existing relay. Yeah. Um, what else does someone need to know if they are craving faster service? So there's a little nuance in there that's worthwhile is that what we actually care about is the geo coordinates of the, of the location that you want service in. Um, because as you know, it could, the, the street address might point you to a six acre property or you know, a small lot in downtown Point Arena. So we actually want to know where you want service, you know, which building it is, because one side of that six acre, six acre parcel or 20 acre parcel, you know, might be servable on the other not. Right. Um, and so the address is a way of presenting to the user a, uh, a picture of their property and they can move a pin on the roof. We actually don't do much with the address. We never send people mail and, and things of that sort. Maybe in the future, we'll do a little bit more of that. But with that pin, there are uh, fascinating tools. Uh, I think the I think the federal government pays for the, most of the satellites, and then Google provides uh, layers on top of it. And there's just an amazing uh, set of tools to then using digital technology to do an analysis to see uh, what kind of geography is in the way between uh, a particular location that you want to bring service to and, and one of our relays. Um, and so we know the, we, we know the geo positions of all of our relays and, uh, and then we have a, a map in our, in, in the software, which we build, which by the way, is open source software. Mm -hmm. So we invite all of our cooperators and competitors, whatever there they are to use the same software. Um, we, 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 uh, are hundred percent open source. Um, and so that technology allows, uh, in a consolidated way in an integrated way for uh, the agent at further reach when they receive that email uh, to, to do an analysis of which relays uh, are likely to be connectable. Um, sometimes right now it's running about 40% of our installs are in trees. Wow. Um, and we have gotten very, very good at both putting infrastructure in trees. So we have very few towers, by the way. Yeah. Um, and, uh, we've, you know, we feel like Redwoods have been here for a long time and we're partnering, uh, with the trees rather than, I like that. you know, making a clearing and putting, putting a tower up. Um, and we've done a lot of work to get good on the relay side and, uh, and now we're getting, uh, even better at being able to figure out which tree is the right one on a property. You know, if we can install on a house, we will, cause it's cheaper. Um, and it's, it's faster to do, um, you know, anything that's, you know, 170 feet up in a redwood tree is going to be a little bit more work for everybody. Some people are very skeptical about it, but we offer a guarantee. So if, if we get up there and it doesn't work and our, our policies are just changing, we used to, we used to use a drone, uh, to test out every, uh, every situation before we installed in a tree. And we got so good at it that we realized that the cost of the drone program wasn't worth it. 
Um, so now we're, we're going to take the risk ourselves. And if there's a failed tree climb, we'll actually pay the bill for it. Wow. Okay. So that's, so that gets us to a line of sight assessment and it's pretty uncommon within the service area that we'll, we'll get addresses that we can't serve. There are still a few pockets and, uh, and I'll, I'll make the promise again, like we, uh, we never tell someone we can't serve you, period, end of story. You know, if they're calling from Willits or something, okay, it's going to be a few years before let's, let's talk then. But if it's in that service area, um, like there's a couple really difficult pockets uh, out near the reservation and uh, uh, in Point Arena, and, and, the, and we are still working to get into those places, and we will continue to work. So they're not commercially viable uh, places, but we feel that if I'm going to, you know, if we're going to be able to tell the story that we think that wireless is, is an actual solution for the community, we have to be able to serve everybody. Mm-hmm. And by the way, the other problem with fiber is that fiber is going to serve the downtown areas. They're not going to get up into the hills and they're going to basically maroon everybody that's at the end of the line, whoever's, you know, whatever the edge of the map is that they, and then it won't be viable for us to come in there either because we can't just serve the hard areas. We have to there has to be some downtown that we see as well to make it sustainable. So uh, then we schedule the time. We we come out and we we put a ditch up either on your roof or uh, in a tree, and uh, and off you go. It takes two or three hours to do that. And I've always had great experiences with uh, with uh, with your installers and service folks, um, which is a nice again um, a, a differentiating factor between. Um, uh, another rural broadband alternative that we'll talk about in a minute that's coming from the sky. Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, and then, and of course, uh, along the way, then um, a potential customer has to decide kind of what kind of plan that they want. There are a variety of different speeds and, and, uh, and, and pricing tiers uh, that, that folks can explore on their own at, uh, at furtherreach.net. So, yeah, there is that 800-pound gorilla in low earth orbit um, that more and more people are embracing and is providing pretty good results for a lot of people. And that's Starlink. And it's that low earth constellation of a couple of thousand and ever growing uh, set of satellites that are uh, beaming down internet that solves a lot of the problems of classic old school satellite internet, the Hughes nets, um, the Viasats of the world. Um, it does today question it's a question about the future but we'll get there oh well let's let, let yeah let's talk about that i mean obviously they're a potential competitor um, it's an amazing feat of engineering there's no question about it getting low earth orbit to work as well as it is is, is an astonishing uh, accomplishment and as you said starlink's mission is to prove spacex's viability and to make it economically viable at the level that they have, it's it's very it's an impressive launch of a brand new network. Um, but it's important, you know, if we had if we had a, a small fraction of our subscribers running on our network, you know, we could offer you know gigabit speeds. Everybody, you know, it's like <laughs> when you know networks that are unsubscribed always perform well. The question is, what happens when they get fully subscribed? It's, it's any it's any freeway when it opens up and there's not many towns or not many cars on it traffic moves really quickly and, and look for for places that there are no there are you know that don't have uh, a wisp you know or you know, if they're in the suburbs or a mobile solution I mean this is really a game changer for uh, for transportation to have real 
you know, you know, Viasat's not a great solution for if you're, you know, a truck or a ship or a train. Um, so it's it's an important uh, an important tool. It is a huge step better than Viasat, which is um, physics is not on its side. Right? It's much much further away, and so the speed of light is you know not something that's going to get solved uh, anytime soon. Um, but they've oversubscribed. Or you know, or they're they're maximizing the number of people on their network, and that is partly why Viasat would work a lot better if they had half as many users. Hmm. Um, so uh, you know, we're watching how Starlink has is an entrant. It's not available to everybody. Um, we do have it, um, so we we have it on our network. We're testing it, um, and uh, and. And that's, you know, that's how we can speak from experience that, you know, unless you have a very, very clear view of the sky, there are going to be connection quality issues. And I, and I believe that uh, latency and generate packet loss, which are the, 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 the details of the technology are not, not that important, but connection quality is a simple way of putting it. If we have breaks in our conversation, um, uh, humans are, are very willing to have video artifacting uh, but are very, uh, you're, I think, an audio engineer. So I think you, I'm speaking to the converted here. Um, you know, audio artifacting is not tolerated by people. There's only a certain amount of uh, dis distortion in the audio uh, signal before things break out. And we see that with Starlink on a regular basis. So that uh, Zoom does a great job in piecing piecing the, uh, the packets together when they get out of order uh, through jitter. Um, so that's the that's the big piece to start with is connection quality, and I think it's the most important for everybody. Um, and you you touched on this before is the second one, is that we would love to provide service to people's you know roof or tree, run a cable into their house and wish them good luck. That I mean, that is a great model, um, but there's no Best Buy up the street. There's no you know Apple Store. There's no one for people. There's you know one guy in town that we sometimes give work to that's competent to uh, to help people in home. Um, we have built a support team, not because it is our model, because we think it's a great thing for us to be doing from a business standpoint. We're doing it because people have nowhere else to turn. And uh, easily 40% of our support is uh, dealing with issues that are in people's homes, not on our network. Hmm. And so those issues, when you're dealing with Starlink, you're dealing with email only. Different people online have suggested different things, but some people complain about, you know, being multiple days before they hear back from people. And some problems are really hard to solve over email. You have, you know, layers of questions and, and problems, particularly with indoor LAN issues. It's really hard to diagnose those those questions and to get on the phone with somebody and try some things in real time. Um, and we have a belief that we have to support, uh, we have a holistic support uh, policy where we will support uh, to, to the rooftop, and that's included in your subscription. So if the internet goes out, you know, unless you caused it, you know, you cut, you know, backhoe breaks the, the cable or you knock something off the roof, the contractor's unscrewed it or something. Essentially, we, we virtually don't charge for support calls for that. Uh, but everything indoor, we will still support for you for fee, but we will support everything in the home from your printer to having additional Wi-Fi devices. Um, we actually provide a Wi-Fi device uh, that we support uh, all, all the way through to that device. So help you change your passwords and manage that router for you. Um, 
And you know, if people don't need that, then I, you know, I totally get it. But I don't speak to very many people who um, the indoor the indoor environment is not easy. It is not easy to. Indeed. Yeah, it's just surprisingly difficult. Why you know, radio communications and analog technology, it's imperfect. It's really hard to get right. And uh, if you're a professional and you don't want to take on a project and you just simply need your internet to work, um, we will come in and be the one nectar ring and promise you internet from your device all the way to the internet. Wow, that's great. Yeah. And then the last piece, of course, is what the value is to individuals about having a, a local organization that's part of the community. Uh, we give, you know, as part of your subscription, if you will, you know, we give free service to uh, scores of local you know, firehouses, libraries, nonprofits, um, uh, and we have a nonprofit program, or not a nonprofit, a uh, financial aid program, not through the not through the the EBB or the ACP, just one that we run on our own, um, where, where we work with local uh, uh, local assistance organizations, and they refer clients to us, and we provide them highly disc discounts that are far deeper than uh, twenty five dollars a month, essentially, hmm. and. Um, yeah, and we th we think that part of our part of the model here is to be local and to stay local and be part of the community that we're in. That's great. That's great. Well, I for one, and I know I speak for many uh, who say that we're glad that uh, really glad that you're here. <laughs> we're glad to be here. <laughs> it's been super fun. Thanks again, Tamir, for taking the time to chat with us on uh, on Point and Click tonight, and um, we'll have you on again soon to give us updates on everything that further reaches up to. Pleasure speaking, Jim. I'm also glad Further Reach is here. Yeah, no kidding. You know, we mentioned another local ISP in our interview, and that is, of course, MCN. As most of our listeners know, the Mendocino Unified School District is taking steps to sell MCN. And today, maybe even while this show is airing, the school board is reviewing the bids that have come up. KZYX will be reporting on the decision that the school board makes. And we'll be talking about whatever decision comes up in our show two weeks from now. In the meantime, thanks everyone for listening. And Toby at the Point and Click Research Desk and Cybersecurity Desk, thank you as always. Thank you, Jim. We'll see you next time. Good night, everybody. Good night. This has been a production of Mendocino County Public Broadcasting. KZYX, Philo 90.7 FM. KZYZ, Willits and Ukiah 91.5 FM. And Fort Bragg at 88.1 FM. You can find more content like this on our website at kzyx.org. And consider donating by clicking the red donate button in the upper right corner. Thank you for listening.